you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. The glass he's talking about is a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but, dece but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now the reason I added that last verse of scripture in there is because the connection James by the Holy Ghost is bringing is the words of our mouth in connection with being a doer of the word. The Lord spoke something in my heart this morning or reminded me of something this morning and that is 40 years ago this week I set the course of my life in a direction that was totally different from anything that I had thought of, planned for, or expected. And it has affected, that decision has affected everything that's happened every day for the last 40 years. In the fall of 1977, my dad was uh, diagnosed with kidney cancer. There was a, uh, the x-rays showed that there was a mass on his kidneys, and it looked like from the uh, the x-rays that his kidney was just completely overrun with cancer and they were expecting the worst they were expecting to have to go in and take it out and there's all kinds of complications that come with losing a kidney but when the doctors got into him when they opened him up and examined him were able to see things clearly the cancer was there but it had wrapped around the kidney rather than infecting the kidney. And so everywhere they, they took the thing up, they, they unwrapped his kidney, if you will. And there was not one place where the cancer had penetrated into the, into the kidney itself. It was a miracle. The doctors called it a miracle. Everybody in the medical community was just floored by how this thing had turned out. And through the process of time, there was a, a tape series, six tapes by Brother Hagen, in a series called Mountain Moving Faith Series. And after the successful surgery that my dad had undergone, somehow or another, I came into possession of that tape series. I devoured those tapes. It's a tape series that's still available today. But it's a tape series that speaks primarily to the ABCs of faith, what faith is, how faith comes, how to use your faith, and so forth. And I, I really don't know if it was a tape series that my dad had paid much attention to. I know somebody had given it to him after they heard about his diagnosis. But like I said, I just devoured those tapes. There were so many times where those cassettes would come apart in the cassette recorder. Any of you remember how those things would unwrap and get twisted around the spindles and all that kind of stuff? I can't tell you how many times 
I prayed over cassette tapes and unwrapped them, wound up with a bunch of things that was just all in your hands, but they kept working. I have great faith for cassette tapes, I guess. No, I just needed to hear them. Well, my dad's situation was such that everybody, of course, was thanking God for the miracles, how it turned out, and so forth. But it was definitely a situation for him, like when Jesus told the guy in John chapter 5, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. My dad didn't give proper respect to what God had done, or at least it didn't let, he didn't let it affect his life, his behavior and lifestyle and that type of thing. My mom and my dad were divorced, had been divorced for several years by then. And so he was just maybe a year, year and three months later, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. He had an operation on his lungs. Apparently there are three sections to each of our lungs. And they removed two of the three of one lung and one of the three of the other. And that limited him severely, you could well understand. Just breathing became a different and a difficult prospect for him. Somewhere along the way, he decided that he wanted my brother and I, I've got a brother that's three years older than me. He looks a lot more than three years older than me. But anyway, my dad decided he wanted my brother and I to take him out to Tulsa. He had heard about Brother Hagen's healing school that started in 1978. And so in the fall, I'm sorry, in, the, in February of 1980, he, wanted us, he arranged for us to take him out there so he could attend healing school. He said that he was in faith. And I didn't really know too much about it at the time. But looking back at it, he wasn't anywhere close to faith. He had dodged a bullet with the thing with his kidney and had not used the time to build the word on the inside of him. But anyway, my brother and I took him out to Tulsa to eating school. And there was no contact that had been made with the school. Looking back at it, it's kind of stupid the way that it worked out. But I guess none of us just knew what to expect or, or whatever. But we wound up there during the week of what they call Winter Bible Seminar now. Back then it was just a um, prayer meeting, prayer seminar. And because Brother Hagen was teaching the prayer seminar, morning classes and, and evening classes, somebody else was doing healing school during that week. Turned out to be several different people, different ministers that were in for the, the seminar. And so my brother and I would take him to healing school every afternoon. But with the services going on in the morning and, not, and at night, we'd alternate. One of us would take one service one day and the next one would take the other. And he'd wind up going one night and I'd wind up going the next night type thing. And while I was there, 
I noticed something about the people that were there in school that were different than anything else I'd ever seen anywhere else. And before that time, there were some opportunities, different things that I was considering to do, doing with my life. But I was 24 years old, had no direction whatsoever, didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I was tired of going to school. And so I didn't want to do any of that. There was law school. I had been accepted to law school. I could have started with that. But like I said, I was just worn out with school. So when I got to Rhema and noticed a difference in the people that were there than anywhere else I'd ever been, I naturally thought, well, if everybody that's here is like that, then I need to come here too. Looking back at it, I realize now that it was just my hunger for God that caused me to see what I thought I saw. Because after I wound up getting there and working there at the ministry, I didn't find a lot of settledness in anybody else that was there. I, didn't, I wasn't impressed in the same manner as I was when we first visited. So I really believe that it was just my hunger for the things of God that God used to try to draw me there. He didn't tell me to come. It was something that seemed to be just to be, seemed to me to be just a personal decision based on what I thought I might get out there. Well, my dad wound up dying in the first, well, I think it was May the 3rd, just a couple of days before his birthday, a couple of days before he would have been, I think he would have been 48. And folks, I had no idea how young 48 was at that point in time. But nevertheless, thank God he was saved. He went home to be with Jesus. And so for the next six months from the time that, that we had taken him out to Tulsa, there was about six months before school was to start. It was to begin the first, well, the day after Labor Day, the Tuesday after Labor Day. So from the end of February to the 1st of September, I had those months to see what I could do and try to get my finances in order to move to Tulsa and get ready for school. I was doing some odd jobs and different things like that, but nobody wanted to hire me knowing that I was going to leave to go back to school. And so any work that I got really didn't make too much of a difference or provide much of a help to the funds I would need to, to move from Birmingham to, to Tulsa to register for school and so forth. Now, after my dad died, my brother and I, based on information that he had, identified, he identified that there was about anywhere from forty to $60,000 that would have been ours as a part of his inheritance. But as it turned out, my dad had a terrible experience when his mother died. It was one of those things where families fought over the money and everybody was at each other's throats and that type of thing. And so my dad, and I remember even as a kid, my dad said, when I die, I'm going to let him throw all the money in the middle of the floor and let everybody fight for it. Well, that's basically what he did. He set up his will in such a way that it would 
avoid probate, which is where things got messy and ugly when his mom died. And so bottom line is that everything that he had was left in the hands of the woman he had married. And she had identified some legal means to keep it all and not divide or disperse any of it to anybody else. There was nothing in the will that identified specifically that was supposed to come to us. My dad had told my brother apparently that he had left instructions with her about what he wanted to do and so forth. But there was no legal means to force her to, to do what he wanted to do since it wasn't recorded or written down anywhere. And so it wasn't too long after my dad died after the funeral and all those things that have to be done took place that we were told, we, my brother and I, were told in no uncertain terms that there was no inheritance. There would never be an inheritance. And it was my father's will that we never see a dime of anything that he ever made. Well, I remember having heard that and getting in my car and driving somewhere. I don't remember, I remember where I was, but I don't remember where I was going. And I was complaining to the Lord about it because I had already decided, well, that's the money to get me to school. And so when I found out about it, and it was done in a real hateful way. It almost looked like the, the main purpose, the main goal of the woman that he had married was to let us know that he hated us and all that kind of stuff. And I really didn't believe it, but on the other hand, you got somebody that's saying that, and it hurt. And so I'm driving down the road, just madder than a wet hen, complaining to the Lord about it. And finally, the Lord impressed upon my heart in response to something that I asked him. I just very simply said, what am I going to do? And his response was very simple and very direct. He said, pray for. Well, that's not anything I wanted to hear. And I responded to the Lord. I was by myself in the car, and so I was just talking out loud to him. I said, you've got to be kidding me. There is no way. Well, when I started talking to the Lord like that, he didn't respond. I learned something, folks, that I think it would be well for everybody to know, and that is God doesn't try to talk you into obeying him. He'll give you instructions about what to do. But he's not going to try to convince you to do it. Once you know, it's up to you. Well, the Lord brought to my remembrance Matthew 5, 44. Which says, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. The word despitefully there means people that do it on purpose. And so I just gritted my teeth and I said, as little as I could, Lord, I pray for her. Now, part of the conversation that I had that I shouldn't leave out is that when I finally 
started coming around and realizing that I was going to have to do what the Lord wanted me to do, I asked him, what should I pray for her for? For what should I pray for her? And he said, I want you to pray that I'll bless her. Well, that was the last thing in the world I wanted. But again, once the word is spoken to your heart, it's up to you what you're going to do. So I grit my teeth and said, Lord, bless her. And there wasn't an ounce of compassion. There was certainly no feelings other than hatred that I was feeling. But I knew enough about forgiveness, or I should say I knew enough from that six-tape series, that mountain-moving faith series, to know that unforgiveness will keep your faith from working. So in, in essence, I did it as much for me as I did it for her. And every time I would think about it, and the devil made sure I thought about it a lot, every time I'd think about it, I'd have to grit my teeth and pray, Lord, bless her. This went on for several weeks, and about, well, I'd, I'd guess almost three weeks later, I was praying my Lord bless her prayer with my teeth still gritted, and all of a sudden I saw her in a way that God sees her, and my heart broke for her. Now, if you would have asked me, was that possible? I would have said, absolutely not. No way is that possible. But somehow or another, and I believe it was because I was obeying what he told me to do, somehow or another I was able to see past the things that she had done. And by that time things had compounded and, and there was even more being heaped on the hatred pile. But I saw her and I realized how scared she was. I realized how afraid she was that my brother and I would either legally or otherwise try to do something about it. How insecure she must have been about her situation and her future and so forth. And from that point forward, it never was a problem for me to pray for her again. And I was able to genuinely pray that the Lord would bring blessings on her. And he did. Just things that we heard about. We didn't have close contact. But we were close enough to hear about some things that had happened. And almost immediately after I began to pray that God would bless her. Even though my attitude was wrong. And I was limited by the, the hatred that was in my heart. Or maybe the hatred was in my head. Once I began to pray for her. It stopped being a part of my heart. But the Lord had begun to do good things for her. To increase her. To bless her. Well, that didn't seem fair. Lord, if anybody needs to be blessed, it's my brother and I. We're the ones who've been done wrong. But that's not always the way that it works. And life doesn't always seem fair. So all this time, I've been believing God for the funds to move to Oklahoma to start school. I knew that school was scheduled to begin the day after Labor Day. And so the devil's beating me up as much as possible, bringing thoughts to my mind every day about what are you going to do if this doesn't work? Well, I knew enough about faith to know that you speak the word no matter what it seems like or what thoughts come to your mind. 
I knew that faith works in your heart even when there's doubt in your mind. And so I answered the devil with what the word says. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But things kept progressing. The calendar kept turning. And I woke up on Labor Day. And as soon as I woke up, the devil was there. And he said, well, now this is over. Now you can stop this foolishness. And I guess you're going to have to go find a job now. And I was sitting up in my bed, just woke up. I raised to a seating position in my bed. And as soon as the, the devil finished what he had to say, from my heart came these words. Faithful is he who calleth you, who will also bring it to pass. Now, folks, during the time that I was there in Birmingham, there was a church that we were going to. A Rhema graduate was the pastor. He wasn't really called the pastor, and so I can't honestly tell you I remember one sermon that he preached. I'm not criticizing him in any way. Because he knew as well as we did that he wasn't called. But it gave me an opportunity to be in the Word and hear a little bit about the Bible other than just those six tape series, Mountain Moving Faith series. And so I didn't know where that was in the Bible, the verse that was quoted to me. But I found it after a period of time. It didn't take me really too long. But I found it, and it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. Verse 23 is the verse of Scripture that we all know about man being three-part. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 says from the King James, Faithful is he who calleth thee who will also do it. But the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, who will also bring it to pass. Now, I didn't know at the time that I was called of God to anything. But that's what the Lord was trying to tell me. Faithful is he who calleth thee who will also bring it to pass. Well, before the end of the day, I had the money that I need, just the bare minimum that I needed to, go to, to, to move to Tulsa and to enroll in school. Got to Oklahoma somewhere in about late afternoon on Tuesday. And I wound up just missing one uh, missing two days of class and that was just the orientation stuff so I really didn't miss anything at all and I look back at that I look back at the decision that I, that I made to move to Tulsa and to go to Bible school and like I said it changed the course of my life I didn't know that I was getting direction from God to it there's no question in my mind looking back at it that I was being led by the Holy Ghost I sure didn't know it at the time. And concerning the decision, the single decision that had the greatest impact on my life, somehow or another it seems to me like those decisions should have more of the hand of God behind them than just the way that it worked with me. And I don't know if it works the same way with everybody. I guess we've all got our own experiences. 
And I certainly won't, wouldn't want you to judge your experience by my, or your situation by my experience, nor would I do the same thing the other way. But it just seems to the natural mind, I guess, that the biggest decisions ought to be the most spectacular leadings of God. But that's not the way that it works. That was 40 years ago this week. And boy, what an adventure it's been since then. I found God faithful financially. I found him faithful where healing is concerned. I found him faithful to identify for us, or identify to me, who I am in Christ and what belongs to me because I'm his child. Let me read again from James chapter 1. Verse 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, interestingly enough, what's this guy's name? James is writing to spirit-filled believers. So when he's talking about the salvation of their souls, he's not talking about being born again. He's talking about the renewing of your mind. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Most translations say, which is your spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of the mind is the same thing that James is talking about, the saving of the soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions which is the primary area that most Christians have trouble. It's not a, a matter of their spirits or trouble in their spirits, but instead it's difficulty concerning the mind, the will, and the emotions. So he says it's the receiving of the word that's able to save our souls or renew our minds to bring us to the place of understanding of what belongs to us from the word of God that will enable us to overcome our emotions and make good, solid spiritual decisions. But then he says, but be ye doers of the word. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Notice he doesn't say the devil deceives you. He says self-deception. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. The hearer of the word sees himself in the word of God. He sees who he is in God. He sees what belongs to him as a child of God. But he begins to look away to other things. He looks away from the word that identifies and defines who we are in Christ. To look to other things, he gets distracted by the things of the world. Jesus talked about this when he, was, he gave the parable of the sower sowing the word. He talked about people that were distracted and didn't produce fruit. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. James is talking about the same thing. 
He's saying it's one thing to see who you are in the word, but it's another thing to act on who you are. Keep it before your eyes so that you act on who the Bible says you are. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, again, he's talking about the word as a mirror, and continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Notice he talks about the forgetful hearer. The forgetful hearer is the one that doesn't keep his attention on the word of God, doesn't keep his attention on who we are in Christ and what the Bible says is available to us. And because he forgets who he was from the word, he lives his life conformed to this world. Greatest lesson I ever learned, the greatest one I think there is to learn, is to speak the word only. When it looks like things aren't working, speak the word. When it looks like things are impossible, speak the word. When you don't feel like things are going your way, speak the word. Now, what's the significance of speaking the word? The forgetful hearer turns away from the word in this manner. He fails to say what it says. But the doer of the word, the one that's not a forgetful hearer, he's the one that speaks the word no matter what. He speaks the word no matter the circumstances. He speaks the word no matter how he feels. He speaks the word no matter what it looks like. He speaks the word no matter what anybody else says. He speaks the word no matter what doubts come to his mind. He speaks the word into the impossibility of circumstance. You remember the centurion came to Jesus. Told about his servant. And Jesus said, I'll come healing. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come to my house. But speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Folks, there is no greater lesson to learn in all of the Bible than the power of God that comes to pass and comes into being when we speak the word only. It's the very means of making your way prosperous. God told Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this book of the law, meaning the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth but thou shalt meditate therein. Well, if something doesn't depart from your mouth, the only way you can make that to be is by continuing to say it. So he says, this word of God shall not depart from out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Speak the word daily. Speak the word during the daytime. Speak the word during the nighttime. Why do we want to do that? He tells us the results. He says, for then, well, he says, speak the word day and night, meditate day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Folks, speaking the word is always do if you're not saying it. You can't be a doer of the word if you're not speaking the word. So God told Joshua, after already telling him, I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. Nobody will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. He says, don't let the word Depart from your mouth, but meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. 
for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. So many people are praying for God to prosper them. The Bible doesn't even say God will do it. It says we'll do it for ourselves by speaking the word. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. One translation says thou shalt be able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. Well, you couldn't be a success if you didn't deal wisely in the affairs of life, could you? And it all comes to pass because we're speaking the word. Speak the word only. Speak the word only. No matter what, speak the word. It'll bring you into victory every time. It'll bring to pass the power of God that you're looking for, whether it's healing power, whether it's prospering power. No matter what you need the power of God to do in your life, the answer is always the same, and that is to speak the word. Let's pray. Father, we magnify you. We magnify the name of Jesus. And we magnify the greater one that lives in us. For your word says, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We thank you, Father, that the power of God that resides in us is greater than the devil, is greater than anything he could bring against us, greater than any and every circumstance. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. You don't try to stay hidden. But you have revealed yourself to us through your precious holy word. And as we speak the word of God, it returns to you full of power to effect a change in our lives to affect healing for our bodies, to affect prosperity in our lives, in our finances, and in every respect. Father, we thank you that the gospel is the power of God to whatever we need. And that as we are doers of your word, we choose not to forget who we are but to keep our eyes on you and what your word says about us. That as we live by the spoken word, you deal with us even as we speak. Thank you, Father, for leading us into your perfect will in every respect. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for letting me go down memory lane a little bit. You know, it's a funny thing. When some of those things were taking place, I never thought I would remember them fondly. But no matter what trouble we experience, finding God to be faithful, to bring us through those situations, is way more beneficial than avoiding trouble in the first place.